Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. What's happening, everybody? What's up, everybody? Well, thank you guys for joining me. This is the Triple Threat Podcast. I am DJ Shockley, along with my man, the myth, the legend. We call him Scotty D around here. But we appreciate everybody joining the Triple Threat Podcast every single week, tuning in, chiming, and just giving some great feedback on the show. We enjoy bringing it to you. And also want to thank the great people at Snappy Makes Homes Happy for all they have done for the show. They provide electrical, plumbing, and heating, and air services to all of Metro Atlanta, lifetime parts and labor, locally owned and operated. And hey, if you want to give them a call, here's their number, 770-424-SNAP at snappyservices.com is where you can find them on the web. Remember, Snappy Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air. And we have a cool promo code that we use for triple threat. It's $75 off your appointment. Use that promo code and you get $75 off your appointment. Easy as that. So Snappy makes a home happy. All right, big week here. Heading into the weekend here. We got a lot of things to talk about, but it's one of the biggest weekends in college football in the SEC. Georgia Florida weekend is upon us. Scotty D's going to chime in a minute. He's going to think it's Florida, Georgia, but it is not. It is Georgia (laughs) Florida weekend. We got two great guys joining the show. My man, Zach Albaverde. He is a University of Florida guy. He's a graduate. You know, he writes now for the Gators Territory on Rivals.com. So he's going to come on and give us the Florida take and the Florida side of it and what to expect from the Gators. And then we got my man Mike Griffith, who writes for and covers the AJC on Dog Nation. Um, Does a lot of things uh, for Dog Nation, covers the dogs. He's been around the SEC, been around a lot of different schools and has some great insight on the dogs as well. So we got a little Florida take, a little, little dog take for the big game this weekend. Scotty D, how you feeling about Georgia-Florida weekend? It's here. Man, I, I'm excited, right? This is the game. This is a game, as a Florida fan, this is the game you're waiting on right now. You're not even thinking about SEC championship yet. Um, right. So th- this is the next step that Mullen and his team has to take. Now, that being said – I've never had more questions about what's going to happen. You know, I mean, from <laughs> both, both sides got questions. Yeah, both teams, both teams are, are, are have a lot of challenges uh, going on right now. Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling probably better than I was at the beginning of the year. I mean, I, I thought I feel like they're they're closing the gap, but uh, I, I think that you know I was really worried about them being rusty last week, and yeah. I think they did start a little rusty. But in the end, and I think people realize it, they're fresh, man. They they had a yeah. couple weeks off. 
and and um, you know they they didn't have to go through the grind of the SEC for a couple of weeks there, and uh, that might end up being. Um, a lucky byproduct of of having the COVID issues. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch, man. I mean, that Florida offensive playing at a high level. Kyle Pitts is, you know, one of the top tight ends in all of college football right now. Kyle Trash is playing as good as any quarterback uh, right now. Many weapons on that Florida offense. Georgia defensively uh, loses Richard LeCount. Had mm-hmm. a, a accident uh, coming back from the Kentucky game last week. And yeah. uh, he's going to be out for this ball game. So that's a big Lost for George on the back end. A couple guys injured. George's offense, will they find themselves? Will they have an identity? Of course, they want to run the rock and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of, lot of great things to talk about in this Georgia-Florida game. And like I mentioned, we got Zach Alvoverde who's coming on. Uh, he's going to talk about the Gators. And Mike Griffith's going to talk about the dogs. So we got all Georgia. We got all Florida covered uh, for those guys coming up in a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more of the college football uh, got some big games this weekend. We're talking yeah. about Georgia, Florida. How about Clemson, Notre Dame? You're talking about two teams in the ACC that's going to maybe determine who's going to be in the playoffs. Clemson has to go to Notre Dame. Don't have their starting quarterback, Trevor yeah. Lawrence, who was out last week. Uh, they got the really good quarterback in uh, DJ Uyghulea. <laughs> <laughs> to say it. Hold on, let me get my let me get my. I was gonna my, challenge you if you if you tried to not say it. I was gonna challenge you to no, say it. Oh, it's Uyangalale. Uyangalale. There you go. There you go. I mean, a lot of people are doing the pronunciation this week because that's a big game. Uh, Scotty, what do you think about Clemson Notre Dame, man? Who, who, who do you who do you like? Well, first of all, everybody's gonna better figure out how to say it because after this year, you're gonna be saying it a lot for the next couple of years. It's like it's like a few it's like a few years ago when uh, Missouri had. Uh, uh, the, the, they're tied in Albert Okawebudan. So, okay. Similar, yeah. similar, similar uh, in this ball game. But uh, you, you think he can get it done? You think Klemski can still get it done on the roll without the potential number one pick? Well, I think that it's going to be a big difference for him having all those first team reps this week, right? Okay. Because last week, um, I think the news didn't come out till Thursday. Yeah, yeah. About Trevor. Yeah, so I think he practiced Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, he he did not get a lot of a lot of reps with with the first team, and, and I would I would imagine he typically doesn't get a ton of reps with the first team. Right. So I think a full week this week will make a huge difference for them. I mean, they still scored points. You know, I I was a little curious about the the you know why they gave up so many points last week to Boston College, but um, I I think that Clemson. It's no secret that I, I am not – I don't buy into Notre Dame. Um, I just – I can't. And I, I think that Clemson is too well-established of a program. They've been right. recruiting at a high level for way too long that I, I, I think they go into uh, South Bend and win that game. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun game to watch, man, and a lot of things on the line for both those teams. I think, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how – uh, Clemson play, they still get an opportunity to be in a college football playoff if they happen to lose this ball game. Notre Dame, yeah. I think if they lose, has to has to lose, you know, within, you know, 10 points or so to give them mm-hmm. opportunity and possibly see them again uh, in the ACC championship game. Other games in the ACC, Miami at NC State. Miami now is right on the horizon. They only lost yeah. to Clemson, so they got that one loss. I'm interested. State. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing that game. Um, I think it might be – that's a 10-point line there. I think that uh, NC State might give them some some issues, and we'll see. You know, this is only the second 
pretty, you know, very good team. I said very good. This is only – they played Clemson, obviously, which is an elite team. This right. is this will be the next best team they've played so far. So, I'm interested to see how, you know, see how Miami comes out. All right, be, be fun to watch that one. Texas A&M and South Carolina. Texas A&M is a team similar to, like, Miami. Only got one mm-hmm. loss to uh, Alabama early in the year, playing really well. Kellerman is playing good. South Carolina, it won't be easy. Right. Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher is on the outside kind of looking in knocking on the door saying, okay, don't forget mm-hmm. about us over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the year, can end up being 9-1. and one. So, uh, Liberty and Virginia Tech, bring up Liberty because Liberty is undefeated right now. Uh, but their schedule is getting a little bit tougher. They got Virginia Tech coming up. Hugh Freeze is mm-hmm. over at Liberty right now. So, uh, keep an eye on Liberty. See if they can be competitive down the stretch in some of these tougher ball games that they have going on. Uh, last week, we also saw Khaki Pants lose to Michigan State. Uh, Michigan lose last week. Unfortunate for Michigan. Everybody expected Michigan to be a real contender in the Big Ten, but it looks like it's still the same old hat with the The, Wolverines. So what do you think? Is the Jim Harbaugh uh, uh, experiment almost over? I saw an unbelievable stat where he was like 28-0 in the big house versus everybody else, but 1-6 versus Michigan State and Ohio State. So uh, at the end of the day, those are the games that matter. You can beat mm-hmm. everybody you want to, but you got to win those big games, and that's the most important ones. Right. All right, let's move on to the National Football League, where we got a lot of other big games coming in this weekend as well. Uh, you got the Packers at San Francisco uh, this weekend, Seahawks at Buffalo, Ravens at Colts, Raiders at Chargers, and the one I want to see on Sunday night, Saints at the Bucks, NFC South. Big time ball game there. Mm-hmm. Guess who's in Tampa Bay right now? Antonio Brown. Yep. And we'll get his first time in this ball game versus Saints. Who do you like in that game? Saints, Bucks. Who you like? Uh, I gotta go with. I go with the home team. I go with the Bucks. I mean, they're just, they're playing, you know, too good. And and I don't. I'm trying to figure out why they needed Antonio. Brown, you know, I mean, they got Mike Evans, they got Chris Godwin, they got Gronk, who who played a hell of a game on Sunday. Um, they got a good couple running backs. I, I don't know is is there enough ball to go around for him? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the rich continue to get richer. So we'll see about that game. I like the game Seattle and Buffalo, man. Mm-hmm. Two teams that are on the rise, playing some good football. Buffalo's good defense. We know about what they're doing offensively, Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson. I think he's going to be the MVP, definitely yeah. the front runner right now. What do you um, think happened in that game? I like the Seahawks, man. I've seen the Seahawks play this season. They're pretty good. Buffalo has been tough to beat too, but they've been down in a few games and had to come back. But Seattle, uh, defensively they've struggled, but it's hard to go against Russ. Russ has been cooking all season, yeah. man. Well, I haven't looked at the weather yet, but I think I'm going to bet on Buffalo in that game. Buffalo, go with yeah. Buffalo, man. Yeah, Seattle has At tra- Buffalo, yeah. West Coast teams traveling to the east. Here's here's your little uh your little gambling nugget. West Coast teams traveling to the east don't they, they struggle, man. It's 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 hard, especially if that weather is, is bad up there. I got you. I got you. And the last part of it is Patriots at the Jets. Jets, oh my goodness. Still over <laughs> at all at a time. They had a chance to get a win last week, but they're going against the Pats who have lost four consecutive games how many I, I mean have you been able to say that in the last 20 years that the Pats have lost four consecutive games I don't think you have I think <laughs> I think did we ever believe would we have ever believed that we would that the pa- Patriots and Jets while it's not really a big game to me it's a really interesting game can the Jets 
get hand them five in a row and get their first win in the process. That's I'm actually interested to see. I, I'm not saying I'm going to watch it, but I, I'm interested to see what happens. Somebody's going to be excited about getting the win this weekend. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch. All right, man, let's get into some of this Georgia-Florida talk, man. I, right. I told you Zach Albaverde is coming on. We got Mike Griffith coming on. Great these stuff guys, from those two. Great. These stuff. guys got some great insight. Both guys are tuned into both schools and have some great insight to, to give you guys. So make sure you pay attention. We got Zach Albaverde, Mike Griffith coming up next on the Triple Threat Podcast. <laughs> All right, back. I told you on the Triple Threat Podcast, we got my guy, Zach Albaverde, joining us. Did I get that right, Zach? You did, man. You don't owe me any money. Crushed you, man. Crushed (laughs) you. All right. Zach is, uh, he writes for Gator Territory on Rivals.com. We're looking forward to getting some of his insight today on this big matchup, the Georgia-Florida rivalry. I know uh, you guys say it a different way, but because I'm the host, I'm going to say Georgia-Florida right now. Uh, of course. But, your uh, house. <laughs> Zach, man, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you spending a little time uh, talking about the Gators for a little bit. Let, let's jump right into uh, something that happened last week, man. Obviously, I got to ask you about uh, what happened versus Missouri. Obviously, everybody talked about it. Mullen was fine, 25K, guys fighting all over the place. What were your first initial uh, reactions when that happened and then the fine came about? Uh, I knew he was going to get fined. <laughs> um, personally, maybe I'm just a little different. Um, I didn't have an issue with what he did, or, or not necessarily with what he did, but what he was trying to do, because I, from, it was clear for me what he was doing, which was going after the white hat official, who's the head right. referee. Right. The issue was, is the head referee was talking to two Missouri players uh, because of what had just happened on the last play. So, Right. And the way that he stormed out there, the way that he was yelling, the way that Missouri players were right there. And if you watch the video, it kind of looks like he might be saying something to Missouri players. Right. Um, but, you know, which he wouldn't have. He's, he's going after the white hat referee. But just the way that, that he went about that, that kind of just kind of got the Missouri sideline upset, got his sideline energized, and it just kind of got set off from there. So right. it was an ugly scene for college football. You don't want to see stuff like that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you understand when a head coach wants to defend his star quarterback. No um, doubt. You know, I, you got to sure defend you... the QBs, man. Come on, man. Everybody got to defend the QBs. We... So, but like, if he if he would have been able to go right to the head referee and there was nobody around, um, you know, or maybe would have waited to a different point to address that with him, maybe that doesn't happen. Um, and he obviously came out with his statement where he, you know, said he, he could have acted in a better way and didn't live up to that standard. But, um, you know, the, if you take away any positive from it from the Gators' side, it lit a fire under them. And I wrote about that after the game. They got all around Kyle Trask in the locker room at halftime, kind of jumped up and down. You know, they had his back, of course, and then they went out there and just dominated the third quarter. Um, you know, scored 14 of the 28 straight points that they had. Missouri had two three and outs. Um, so they're trying to obviously now take that into this game. Now let's jump into this ball game that's coming up. Obviously – uh, when you're getting to these big-time ball games, there's always guys who are missing, guys who are out, guys who are injured. You're locked into this ball club. Georgia on the other side has some guys on their defensive side that's going to be injured and maybe out and all that kind of stuff. Kind of give us an update on uh, the injuries or guys that were out, because I know Florida had a few guys out last week. But mm-hmm. what's the situation of guys being in and out of this ball game? 
Well, obviously, as you know, uh, DJ, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that, that involves guys being out has to do with COVID this season. Uh, it's yeah. just part of 2020. The, the fortunate thing for Florida is, uh, you know, after the outbreak that they went through and having three weeks off and two games postponed uh, and, and up to, I think, I forget what the final case count was in the month of October, but it was over 30. Um, but this past week, they had their first COVID-free week for the first time since the last week of September. Nice. So nice. that's really big for the program because be, uh, with that, you're probably not going to have any guys out for the game Saturday, unless there's any more cases that are added between now uh, and, and kickoff. Um, so if there's anyone out, it's, it's probably going to be due to injury. Um, you know, and Mullen's not discussing injuries because he hasn't you know, kind of uh, let people play that elimination game. Because if you know who's hurt, well, then you know who's out with COVID um, or who's suspended for that matter. Um, but fortunately for Florida, they, they've kind of got over their outbreak. Uh, and, and most importantly, they have Kyrie Campbell back. Uh, he was one of the guys that was out for the first three games of the season. Um, and, you know, two years starting defensive tackle. And he gets right in there and I think made a huge difference. He's kind of like one of their alpha dogs on defense. Um, so having him back for the second game, uh, as well as maybe some guys, obviously, that were out uh, this past week, they had three starters in the secondary, um, yeah. which we first reported at GatorsTerritory.com. And, the you know, Florida fans, I think, were wanting to see some maybe some changes uh, in the lineups and the coaching staff maybe alluded to that that would happen. Uh, and, and obviously some guys being out or unavailable kind of forced their hand. But they should be back on Saturday uh, and have some more options there in the secondary. Good to hear, man. That's why, you know, we, we're glad to have you on, man, locked into this ball club and seeing what's going on. Uh, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of this game, man. Obviously, <laughs> coming in, you're thinking about Florida's offense, and nobody's really been able to stop them. Kyle Trask yeah. is, you know, four touchdowns in every ball game. Uh, from a standpoint, looking at the X's and O's, where do you think Florida has an edge in this ball game? Is it Florida's offense uh, going against Georgia's defense, or is it vice versa? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the, the matchup – between Florida's offense and Georgia's defense, that's going to be what everybody's tuned into. Uh, the, the one thing I, I, that I thought that was in, uh, interesting about both head coaches is, is that they said it's, it's a different matchup this year. The personnel is different, and they both said that. Um, you know, and as much as you look at Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts and, and recognize them from last season, it's still a different passing attack because of all the receivers that were lost. And it's a different rushing attack because of the running back that was lost. So, yeah. and then you look on Georgia's side, they already had some different uh, defensive personnel, and then you add in the injuries as well. So um, that, that, you know, from that standpoint, it's kind of interesting, you know, to, to look at this game. Uh, but, but I think for Florida, you know, if, if you look at what they do offensively, um, it does start with their redshirt senior quarterback. And having a go-to target uh, like Kyle Pitts, who Kirby Smart said today in his, all of his years of coaching in the SEC, he's never seen a guy like that. <laughs> uh, and, and what he meant by that was someone who's a receiver slash tight end in one. Uh, and can do all the things that he does. So th that's obviously who George is going to try and take away. And, hey, to, to their credit, they did a great job of it last yeah, year. Yeah. They, they really, I felt like at times, took Kyle Pitts out of the game uh, and, and Florida wasn't able to get it done with that combo of him and, and Trask. Do you think that Georgia's defensive line who and that front seven who is very versatile 
are able to get to Cal Trash because that's going to be the number one goal is you can't allow Cal to sit back there and throw it to Tony, throw it to Grimes and find pits. I mean, all the weapons you guys have on offense is Georgia's defense. Do you think is, can their offensive line of Florida hold up versus Georgia's front seven? Well, they couldn't last year. Um, and obviously again, a different group, but you know, Dan Mullen was asked today about the trend in this rivalry where mm. 14 years in a row it's been, or whoever won the rushing battle won the game. Yeah. Um, and he kind of dismissed that, uh, of course, because he knows that they're not going to try to run the ball. Yeah. Um, they're going to pass it because that's just what they do. And that's their strength, uh, number one. And number two, even though they have four, you know, starters back on their offensive line and they added Stuart Reese as a grad transfer who played for Mullen and them at Mississippi State, uh, you know, this is still not a matchup that I think favors them in, in terms of the run game. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that they're going to try and focus on attacking the Bulldogs through the air. Um, you know, do they have, you know, enough guys to do that? You know, I, I think so. Um, you know, they, they haven't really – you know, feature too many outside of, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. But the one thing that I would expect in this matchup, and we've seen this before um, in games where not only Florida can't run the ball, but maybe they even have trouble defending or, excuse me, protecting Kyle Trask, uh, is they do a lot of the quick screens and, and yeah. bubble screens and stuff like that. Get it out and quick, what's different and what might give them success this year is Kadarius Tony's game is at an all-time high. And he's going to be the one that's going to facilitate that in that Percy Harvin type role. And if he plays like he did against Missouri, and he plays like he has in some of these other games, he's going to be able to allow them to, um, you maybe, uh, you know, counter whatever George is going to bring from a pass rush standpoint, because they're yeah. going to have to get the ball out fast, quick, and, and they're going to be harping on Trask about that every series. Zach, let me ask you, man, do you think that Dan Mullen has learned from the previous game last year? Because you talk about they're probably going to have to force him to throw the football. But I remember that first series of the game, it was a fourth and one, and Florida tries to throw the football and ends up, you know, not getting it or whatever it may be. Yeah, I remember. When that kind of set the tone as if – you're scared or maybe you don't feel you're good enough up front to run the football. Do you think he learned anything from that game last year? Or you just think it's a product of we're just a team that loves to throw it? No, no, I th no, that's it. That's it. Like the fact that they came out there and that's what they did on fourth and one. Right. That just showed you that's who we, that's who we are. And yeah. if we get another fourth and one, that's probably what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> because that's our best shot at, at, at converting. It's right. not, running right up the middle with our running back or our quarterback. Right. You know, if he had Dak Prescott back there or some of the other guys that he's had in his career, he might be doing something different on fourth and one. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we saw that last week against Missouri. And I was sitting in the press box and, they and um, you know, obviously they loaded the left side and had a one-on-one -on -one with Kyle Pitts on the right. And I knew exactly what they were going to do. They went oh, yeah. he brought back and threw it right to him <laughs> and got the first down on fourth and one. Um, and that's I, I, that's the play you're talking about, and Georgia broke that play up. Yeah. Um, so, and that did set the tone for the game. Um, yeah. You know, are, are they able to maybe execute that or have success maybe with some of their other options or maybe Kadarius Tony now in his expanded role? Uh, we still haven't seen though, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we still haven't seen too much of Trevon Grimes. We haven't seen 
a lot of Jacob Copeland uh, and some of their other guys that they have in their wide receiver corps. So um, they're going to try and throw some wrinkles at, at, at Georgia, especially once they start keying in on Pitts and Tone. Let's jump on to the other side of the ball, man. Obviously, this is a defense that uh, the first three games gave up 100 points in the first three games. Last week versus Missouri, only gave up 17, played a little bit better. Uh, kind of. Well, actually, only gave, up, only gave up 10. There's pick yeah, six now. Yeah. <laughs> you know you. they'd be the first to you. say that. I know, no, I got you. I got you. It still goes on the defensive stat line, but, hey, I mean, it is. No, 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 it does. Uh, uh, but kind of talk about some of the guys on that defensive side of the ball that you expect to play a bigger role in this ball game and who you expect to have a good game and has to have a good ball game in this game versus Georgia's offense, who uh, the last couple weeks has struggled a little bit. Stetson Bennett, you know, in, in the Georgia nation, people are still kind of weary about him throwing, yeah. you know, five interceptions in the last uh, couple ball games. But talk about some of the guys on that defensive side for the Gators that must play a big part in the ball game. Well, I already mentioned Kyrie Campbell. Um, the two-year starting defensive tackle who made his season debut against Missouri. He's, he's, it starts and ends really with him right there and TJ Slayton. They have to have an impact. They have to really paddle in the trenches and make it hard for Georgia to run the football, or at least at times, so that they can't simply just dominate them on the ground. Um, And that's not just them. It's everybody in Florida's front seven. Of course, that matchup with Brenton Cox Jr. going against his former team and him trying to contain the edge, which he's not always done at times this season. Um, And so I'm really looking at some of those matchups and obviously some of the other guys that they have on the edge, uh, defensive end, Jeremiah Moon, Chris Bogle. Those guys really got to bring their A game Um, because as much as we'll talk about Stetson Bennett and and maybe Florida's vulnerable secondary, what's Georgia's game plan going to be? I think it's going to be to run the football. And if they feel like um, they can and they have success early on, um, that's what they're going to stick to. And Florida has given up a lot of yards on the ground uh, in some games this season. So um, in the secondary, though, it's going to be, uh, I would say, a question mark. But look, they had some starters that were out last week. They had three. Some of those fans – wanted to see out of the starting lineup and the coaches even alluded to maybe some personnel changes, although they never specified anybody after the Texas A&M loss. So with those guys out in, in the past game against Missouri and the secondary playing better and those guys who stepped in for those starters actually playing well, it's going to be interesting to see what they do against Georgia. And if they actually stick with some of those changes, do some of those guys return to the starting lineup, um, they're going to have, they should have some options back. Cause like we talked about earlier, they did have a COVID free week. So, uh, I mean, I think that they should be able to either at least win or be even on that matchup with their secondary and pass defense versus Georgia's, uh, passing offense. It's going to be, can their front seven hold up against uh, their run game? Zach, let me ask you, uh, Obviously, Georgia fans watch Georgia every single week, and they know about this offense, and they know it inside and out. But as a guy who looks at him on the outside, what are your thoughts on this Georgia offense uh, in their first, you know, four or five games? Well, how do you think Florida's offense would be if they were without Kyle Pitts? Tough. I mean, you're, you're missing Pickens, man. I mean, that's, no a, that's, a, that's a big piece that you removed. Um, obviously, lost some pieces from last year, including your – your, your star quarterback. So, um, 
you know, I, I still think that it's a really talented team with a really good offensive line. Um, and, and once they're at full strength offensively, especially in their receiver corps, um, you know, they have some guys that can help Stetson out. Uh, but it's clear what they want him to do and what they want this offense to be. And if I was them, I'd do the same thing. When yeah. you have a backfield like that and that many guys, <laughs> um, I mean, it's the same thing that Florida does with their passing attack and why they lean on that. Awesome. Well, Zach, you, you've had a lot of great info, man, a lot of great things that I think a lot of people can take and look forward to in this ball game. Uh, before we go, though, I have to let you – I have to kind of get this out of you. Uh, Two-part question here. Um, if Florida wins the ball game, they must do – what are the two or three things they must do to win this ball game? And then at the end, I need a score. Okay. Well, I think if Florida's going to obviously win this game, uh, the first thing that they got to do is, is, is be able to stop Georgia uh, in, in, their, in their rushing attack. I think that if they can do that and force Stetson to throw the ball, they got enough playmakers in the secondary and they should have enough guys back um, that, they, that they should win that matchup or at least like their chances with that. Right. Uh, and then on the, on the flip side, like I mentioned earlier, man, everybody can't wait to watch Florida's offense against Georgia's defense. Who's going to win that chess match between Kirby Smart and Brian Johnson against, uh, uh, you know, and, and Dan Mullen as well. That, I think, from a click – play calling standpoint and guys making adjustments and stuff. Um, if they can do that and find different ways to utilize pits, find different ways to utilize Tony, um, throw some wrinkles at smart and his staff that they haven't seen before and maybe catch them off guard for some plays. I think that's how they win this game. They, they got to come out though and set the tone. Like you mentioned last year, they, they didn't get that fourth and one. They got to score early and often um, and kind of take control of this game. Uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I was uh, I was back and forth on this game throughout the early part of the season, just based on how Florida was playing defensively and what I saw from Georgia defensively. Um, you know, I thought that the the week uh, the three weeks off for Florida kind of hurt them, uh, and you know, I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't know how they were going to play against Missouri, and then they. Sh came out and they had an awful Played start, yeah. you know, and didn't play well. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at the end of the half, they like kind of flipped the switch. Tony had two quick touchdowns. They get to the halftime brawl. And then I mentioned what happened in the second half. So um, I think that they figured some things out, um, especially on the defensive side. Um, they're ready to go win this game. They're ready to end the losing streak. It's just a matter of, can they do it? Um, the one thing that I think has been the difference in this rivalry the last few years is the position you play. Georgia's had the advantage at quarterback. We talked about, you know, the, the streak good there. Point, good point, yeah. We talked about the streak there with uh, 14 years of winning the rushing battle, but it's about the quarterback position. They've had the advantage there, um, and they had it last year, even when they had Kyle Trask, who was playing really well. Jake Fromm was better in that game, and they won because of it. I think in this game – Florida has the advantage at the signal caller spot, and I think that'll do enough uh, for them to end this losing streak. Um, for, I don't know have a score for you yet, but I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a close game, man. Yeah. I think it's gonna be as close as uh, this election everybody's watching right now. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last thing. Uh, obviously, if Florida does win this ball game, you still have the one loss, but you go on and you get to the SEC championship game. Uh, is this team good enough to beat Alabama? I don't know. And I don't think right now I would say no. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I think that they can compete with Bama, but, you know, for this program and for this coaching staff and this team, um, you know, getting back to Atlanta uh, and, and, and beating Georgia, that's a step in the right direction. Um, right. And that's where they need to be. And honestly, you know, if they play admirably against Alabama and that's only their second loss, who knows, you know, where they could end up uh, depending on how this season plays out. Everything uh, so, but, hey, they have to beat uh, Georgia on Saturday. Because if they don't, that's going to be four in a row. And that hasn't happened in this rivalry since Spurrier was coaching Florida. So a big opportunity wow. for Kirby Smart. Wow. Zach, man, you've been awesome today. We appreciate you coming on to the Triple Threat Podcast. You guys, make sure you follow my man, Zach Alberti, Gators Territory on Rivals.com. Where can they find you on Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, you guys can just search me up by my name, uh, A-B-O-L-V-E-R-D-I. And, uh, yeah, you can read all our stuff at uh, GatorsTerritory.com. Awesome. Zach predicts a win for the Gators this weekend, as he says that Gators have a uh, big, big advantage at the quarterback spot. Zach, appreciate you joining the Triple Threat Podcast, man, and uh, all the luck to your Gators this weekend, and uh, I'm sure everybody will be watching. Thanks again. Yeah, and, and obviously uh, we, we wish uh, well to uh, Richard LeCount, and I think if uh, he was available this game, I don't know if, how comfortable I feel about that pick. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. We'll see. We'll see. Appreciate you, Zach, man. Take care. Yep, absolutely. All right, welcome back to the Triple Threat Podcast. And we have another great guest today, my man, Mike Griffith, who covers UGA for the AJC Dog Nation. Uh, Mike, want to welcome you to the show, man. Appreciate your time. Uh, how are things going? How are you, brother? I'm good, DJ. I appreciate it, man. I'll tell you, it's, it's been a, a, a grind for the dogs so far, but here they are where they want to be, still in control yeah. of their destiny as they head down to Jacksonville. Yeah, first off, I want to say uh, thank you for your service, man. Veteran, uh, the, you know, 82 Airborne, we appreciate that. I know military appreciation is coming around right around the corner here, so uh, I want to make sure we get that out. Uh, so appreciate all you did, man, and uh, always a pleasure to have to sit in front of somebody who's done some great things like that. Well, uh, yeah, it was a great thing for me too, DJ. I encourage people to consider that as an option coming out of high school. That was my college money. So I appreciate <laughs> the taxpayers and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, man. We, as we know, big game this weekend, Georgia, Florida. I just had to, had to talk Zach into telling him, hey, this is not said the other way around. Florida, Georgia is absolutely Georgia, Florida. Uh, you, you've had an opportunity to cover a lot of teams in this league. Now you cover the dogs. Uh, first initial thoughts about how this season has started out so far, uh, where this offense is, but uh, most importantly, where you think Georgia is as a team right now headed into this big game versus Florida. Yeah, backs against the wall, uh, on the ropes. You know, um, it, it, there's not going to be much margin for error. You know, we've known that the offense was limited this season. Uh, Stetson Bennett is a guy that, listen, he didn't come to Georgia to, to beat Alabama, to beat Florida. He, he came to Georgia as a walk-on, and this is a guy that's worked his way up. And, uh, but, but there's some obvious limitations, right? And, and so they've got to run the ball. They've got to make good decisions, play action football, not explosive at all. And as long as they, that championship defense was intact, that's good enough to win. But the problem we've got now is that the ringleader, the team captain, the face of the team, Richard LeCount, is no longer going to be on on the field for the Bulldogs, and your no your six foot six, three hundred forty pound nose tackle is gone too. 
more than likely. He may play very limited role. So you don't have that margin for error on defense any longer. So now I think, DJ, the question becomes, does Kirby change things up on offense or does he still try to ground and pound, even though it's probably more likely Florida's going to be able to score more points? Right. Let's, let, let's stay on that defensive side. We talk about some of the guys that were injured or hurt, has the possibility to play this game. I know Scene's another guy on the back end who had an ankle last weekend and Kirby's talking positive about he'd be able to play. But I want to talk to the fact of a lot of people said Georgia has always been number one, number two in the recruiting class. And we've watched them this year. And when you watch that defense, you see 17, 18 guys rotating in and out. And they're all four or five-star guys. What's your confidence level with the guys who have to step in to those positions where maybe some guys won't get as much playing time because of injuries or because they're out? Yeah, you know, injuries happen everywhere. Attrition is part of football. It's where it's happened. It's the extent that it happens. For example, if, if Julian Rochester is still healthy, right, the fifth-year senior, maybe we're not quite as worried about Jordan Davis. But you didn't just lose your nose tackle. You also lost your starting defensive tackle, right. that fifth-year guy, Julian, who had 21 starts. So you take Jordan Davis and, and Julian Rochester out, and, you know, now you drop down to some freshmen. I like Jalen Carter a lot. And when he was playing 11 to 13 snaps a game, it was exciting. Right. But now you're asking this true freshman who didn't go through spring, who didn't have the same quality preseason weightlifting regiment. Uh, Kirby's talked about it all along. You're asking him to step in and, and be a marquee player in a game like this, or Nazir Stackhouse, or Warren Brinson. It's kind of a who's who of guys that didn't even go through spring practice, much less go through a season, and you're asking them to replace a fifth-year senior and a guy in Jordan Davis that'll probably be a could be a first-day draft pick if not a second or third rounder. So there's a pretty significant drop-off in the middle of the line. It's safety. You know, Christopher Smith is a guy who's uh, been in the program. He's a junior. He, I think he's going to be able to direct the traffic, but he's not the playmaker that Richard was. I think if we would have asked Florida, if they could pick two guys to pull off of the Georgia defense, they'd, they'd have taken Richard LeCount and Jordan Davis and said those two. Right. Yeah. I mean, even Monty Rice in the middle of that defense has been a little banged up as well. He's been in and out of the lineup. They've you know used him in you know key points in the ball game. When you look at this Florida offense, how does Georgia try to attack them? Because a, a lot of people say, hey, maybe you play zone and you try to keep everything in front of you. Or maybe that's just not Georgia's MO. We know that. They want to get in people's face. They want to – Kirby doesn't want to sit back. That's not how he is. When you got a guy like Kyle Pitts, you got Tony, you got a quarterback in Trask who is playing some really good football, how do you go about trying to, uh, I want to say, cause some friction – for Kyle Trask back there in that offense. I mean, well, what do you do? Well, I think you already know. You said it. You know, these guys like playing man-to-man, and Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes are, are, are both great cover guys. But what we saw against Alabama is that if that pressure doesn't get there, they're human. They're not superheroes. You know, right. they can only cover so long. And if Florida can protect Trask and give him time, you know, Kadarius, Tony, and Pitts are going to get open. I mean, it we saw it against Alabama. Again, I, I think this at the start of this season, this was the deepest and best all-around defense I'd been around. They got lit up for 564 yards, okay, right. by Alabama. That was no joke, and it could have been more, if we're going to be honest about it. Alabama pulled their quarterback in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Uh, you know, good offense beats good defense in, in 2020. So the answer to the question is, 
they got to have Aziz Ajilari, uh Jermaine Johnson. Uh, these guys got to get there. Trayvon Walker, uh, you know, when they do blitz, whether it's N'Kobe Dean, you mentioned Monty being nicked up. I, I know he said Quay Walker would be back. Uh, but I, I think you got to hope that Aziz can get in the backfield a lot. I think you got to hope that Jermaine Johnson can be a force. You, you got to have pressure on Kyle Trask. There's just, yeah. there's no two ways about it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you're a guy who, obviously, you, you cover the dogs, but you know about everything going on in this league. Uh, what happened last weekend at Florida where Mullen gets fined and, you know, they have the big fight. Everybody is kind of saying he was trying to feed maybe some energy. Maybe he's trying to feed some uh, some toughness to his ball club. Do you buy into any of he's trying to send a message to his team about they have to be tougher, they have to be more physical, uh, especially with George on the horizon? I think he has tried hard to get that Gator swag back that was there when he was there as an assistant. You know, I think that's something that worked in Florida's favor. It's always been a very confident, uh, loud, obnoxious program. When they're good, they let everybody know it. Sometimes when they're not good, they try to tell everybody that they're good. And I do think that that was probably his tent. Now, the way he went about it, you know, I, I was a bit surprised, DJ, that that there weren't uh, harsher penalties. You know, a $25,000 fine sounds like a lot, but, right. you know, it's the equivalent of a $250 fine for a guy making sixty grand a year, you know, out of, out of Dan making $6 million. It really doesn't hit him that hard, and I doubt he was even the one that paid the, the penalty. <laughs> so there were no other uh, Florida players that drawn suspensions. The two guys that were ejected for fighting are the same two guys out. Really only one of them factors in, uh, the defensive lineman. So – uh, you know, it was what it was. It was uh, it was uh, a decision for Greg Sankey, what message he wanted to send to the league. Um, you know, I hope we don't see it again. We've never we haven't seen that in the SEC. But if the penalty is only twenty five grand, what's to stop some other program from you know, going out there and getting charged up? I mean, twenty five grand is wow. nothing to right. these guys. So and if players aren't going to get thrown out of the next game for it. Uh, so that was a bit of a surprise. Let, let's be honest. Florida's caught some breaks this year, okay? The scheduling was a break for Florida. Uh, Georgia's schedule was the most front-loaded schedule in the league. And, you know, we said at the start of the year when we saw Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky in succession, we said, man, that is the most physical four-game stretch. And sure enough, meanwhile, Florida and Alabama, two teams that don't have back-to-back road games, DJ, uh, this season. And then let's throw this on top of it. Georgia, you know – as much as they could use a break right now, sure would be nice to be in Athens. But, yeah. you know, this administration made a decision at the start of the year that they weren't going to follow the national trend of moving the neutral site game back to campus because of the COVID risk. We saw Florida say that they caught COVID with a road game. The Georgia administration pinned their ears back and said, we're playing in Jacksonville. We don't care if only 9,000 Georgia fans are going to be there and they're not going to pay us what they were contracted to pay us. We're going to go down there and pay for less money. And so I think that that will probably – that could prove to be a decision that comes back and, and hurts Georgia. Because, again, this is the kind of game this week where you need every possible break you can get. And instead, I'm seeing everything break Florida's <laughs> way leading up to this game. Yeah, good point, good point. Uh, you know, I, I want to jump into the other side of the ball, uh, which possibly could be the biggest part of the ball game is Georgia's offense versus Florida defense. First three ball games – this Florida defense gave up 100 points. Um, Georgia's offense was playing really well at the beginning of the year. Stetson Bennett was taking care of the football. Last two ball games, five interceptions. I mean, of course, 
couple of them, maybe not his fault, a couple of batted balls here and there. But what do you make of this Georgia offense? And do you see it changing in this ballgame versus Florida's defense, who actually played a little better versus Missouri? You, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing the disbelief in your own voice when you hear that there's a Georgia quarterback that's turned it over five times in two games, and, <laughs> yeah. and there hasn't been a change yet, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Um, but, but it is what it is. You know, here's the number that concerns me, and, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, was the, the, uh, the lack of explosion. Guys, I, I mean, DJ, I don't know if you recognize this. This is an amazing stat. There's been over 300 consecutive carries by Georgia running backs dating back to last year's Missouri game without a run longer than 26 yards. Wow. I mean, they're just – DeAndre Swift's not coming out there. Now, some of those were DeAndre. Of course, we know he got banged up, you know, last year against Georgia Tech. And, but, and so a couple of those games are DeAndre in that, in that streak. But I, I, let's just call it like it is. Zamir White has not been explosive. He's never looked like the number one running back in the country that he was coming out of high school. At this point, it almost looks like Georgia throwing bad money after good money because I think Kendall Milton has a chance to be special. I think he could be that in that Chubb, uh, Gurley, Michelle, Swift mold. I mean, this freshman has really impressed me at times with some of his runs. He hasn't had many opportunities. I'm well aware that they talk about his lack of pass protection. But look, man, this is game six, and he was an early enrollee. That's on the coaches if you can't pass protect by now. I remember Tennessee, and you probably too, in 97 with a guy named Jamal Lewis. They mm-hmm. decided he couldn't pass protect, nice. so they didn't start him against Florida. And then they figured it out in game three. They put him against Georgia. I think he went for over 200. And, and I'm not saying that, that Milton can go for over 200, but what I am saying is Zamir can't. Yeah. And, and I think that's a position where as hard as Zamir's worked, as good of a team leader is, I think he's good at a spot that Georgia needs to be great and has been great for several years. So that's a position that I want to keep my eye on as well. If Milton gets in and gets hot, don't know the status of Kenny McIntosh coming off the knee, um, but I think you're going to need some dynamic running. Maybe Zamir breaks out, um, has a big game. Uh, something needs to happen in that run game or else to your point, I, I think they got to pull that trigger and, and go with somebody else under center. If, if they're not able to uh, move the ball effectively. What's the one matchup that fans should watch that maybe they're not paying attention to in this ball game that you think will have a, a critical role in possibly who wins this ball game or a role that you say, hey, Georgia has to win in this particular matchup? Well, you know, I, you know, I think about, I, I guess to me, it, it, it's turnovers. I, you know, and I, I know that's not a real sexy thing, but, because of that lack of explosion, uh, you know, because of the fact that Florida, I think, is going to move the ball and put points on the board, I think Georgia's got to be, you know, turnover free, really. I, I just think, again, the margin for error without that championship defense, you know, a couple things. If you've got an explosive offense, look, we, look let's just go back to last year's game, for example. Georgia dominated that game for three quarters. I mean, it, it was a slam dunk. I mean, Florida had negative rushing yards going into the fourth quarter and had not put the ball in the end zone. George is killing them, but Georgia was very conservative last year too. And what happened? Florida had a couple possessions in the fourth quarter and it came down to Jake Fromm having to throw one of the best balls in the history of this series to Eli Wolf. I mean, you talk about dropping it in the bucket, man, under pressure. Yeah. And, and, and that was, and that was with a dominant Georgia game, right? They don't have Jake Fromm anymore. 
Uh, Jake was a special guy. They were, I think, 12 out of 18 on third downs. I wanted to say Jake was 20 out of 30. He was yep. about as efficient as it gets, didn't make mistakes, big arm, could stretch the field. Okay, now Stetson's playing in a phone booth, man. Everything's within 20, 25 yards in line of scrimmage. You know, Grantham understands that. He's going to move those safeties up. That's going to squeeze Kiaris Jackson. We don't even know if George Pickens is going to play. And it yep. puts more pressure on the run game. So that's why I said very small margin for error. Turnover special teams. You know, Georgia needs all the intangibles because on paper, on paper right now, it looks like Florida on paper. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Zach, and I asked him point blank, if Florida wins this game, they do X, Y, and Z. So if Georgia wins this ball game, what has to happen for them to win? Well, they got to run the ball efficiently and not turn it over. You know, they got to keep Florida's offense off the field. Uh, they got to play smart field position football, take advantage of their punter. I know that doesn't sound uh, sexy again, but Camargo's probably the best punter in the country. I mean, he, he could average 60 yards. You know, he's that yeah. good. He probably averaged 54, 55, depending on the weather. But, you know, uh, you, you play smart football, right? That, that's, that's the model right now. And, and hope that, that you can get to Trask. Yeah. Hope that you can get to Kyle Trask and, you know, get him, get him off his game a little bit. Um, this guy's good. You know, he's a consistent – you know, he's probably like Jake Fromm, really, when you think about it. You mm -hmm. know, consistent, accurate. Uh, seems unflappable, uh, maybe a little stronger arm, uh, probably not as accomplished as Jake yet, but I'd say he's that kind of quarterback. I mean, this, I don't think Trask is going to get you beat, right? Yeah. I think you've got to get in his face and, and you got to beat him. And uh, that's going to be a challenge because this Florida line, right, it's not the best line in the league, but they are experienced. And I don't, I don't think you're going to fool them with movements or blitzes. I think these guys have been around long enough. Uh, you're not going to see somebody come uh, blaring through there on a broken assignment. I think you, uh, you bring up a good point with Trask. I mean, obviously, he's a guy, when you look at the places he had to go last year on the road and the way he played and the way he started this season, I mean, 18 touchdowns is pretty damn good uh, to start the season off. Uh, last thing, uh, come 7 o'clock on Saturday, what's the headline for this ball game? Late field goal wins cocktail party. I don't know who's going to kick it. <laughs> I don't know who's going to kick it. I don't know who's going to kick it. Field goal, you know, I, I think that, you know, Kirby is – I think Georgia has saved some plays. Um, I think they do have some answers. If Stetson and that game plan that we talked about earlier doesn't work, I think there's a pretty good plan B over there in JT Daniels. I can't explain – you know, why we are where we are right now and why we haven't seen JT. <laughs> I saw 30 minutes of scrimmage at the start of the season, uh, DJ. And uh, I'm going to tell you, this guy can get through his progressions. He's got an NFL arm and he can stretch the field. Um, uh, you know, will George Pickens play? If so, JT's a guy that can get George Pickens in the game plan. I think that's part of what else has been missing with George is, you know, Stetson, we, we talk about the arm strength and uh, you know, Georgia hasn't moved George around. Yeah. George is kind of a deep perimeter. I'm, listen, you're the quarterback. You know, you explain this part before I go. You talk about why George Pickens is important to the offense, and if you're a quarterback, what you got to do to get him involved. Well, it's important for a number of reasons. It's kind of not comparing him to a guy like Julio Jones, but the fact when a guy of his caliber is on the field and his presence should be known and – Right now, I don't think him being on the field scares a lot of people. And for one, when you watch Georgia, it looks like Pickens is more of a just a deep threat, 50-50 ball kind of guy. 
And right now, he's not scaring you on the intermediate routes. He's not scaring you uh, to be one-on-one at times. Um, like you mentioned, quarterback's got to give him the football. But right now, he hasn't been that threat this year. Everybody knows the talent, but until it's happened, it's a whole different story. So I'm with you. Not being able to utilize Pickens the right way has been a big part of Georgia's issue. And if they were able to, then maybe here comes Burton. Maybe here comes Kiaris for more. It comes maybe Matt Landers can have a, a, a bigger part in this offense. So uh, we'll, we'll see if hopefully he does play and has an impact on it. But he has to continue to make an impact on this ball game, like you mentioned, and continue to play at a high level. Yeah, like Trey McKitty, right? They've got Trey, some yeah. James Cook. It's a matter of being able to distribute the ball. It's a matter of being able to run the ball and stay ahead of the chains. No and doubt. If Georgia can do that. They give themselves a chance, but I don't think we can ask as much of the defense without Richard LeCount. I, I can't emphasize enough how much I believe he meant to this team, both on the field and off the field. I, I hope, I would guess, DJ, that he'll be here on this trip. I know you, you only like to bring the guys that can play, but I think Richie's got so much value. I think it would mean a lot if he was on the sideline, even if he's not able to play. I'm with you. Very emotional guy is the true heart and soul of not just that defense, but that team. But well said, man. Matt, I mean, Mike, we want to appreciate you for joining us, man. You guys can follow Mike on uh, AJC Dog Nation. Where else can people find you? Twitter? Yeah, Mike Griffith 32. Awesome, awesome, man. We appreciate all the great insight. A lot, a lot of people can get a lot of things headed into this ball game, the big Georgia-Florida rivalry. Mike, appreciate you joining the Triple Threat Podcast, man. It's been awesome to catch up with you. And uh, hopefully uh, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Our man Scotty D and this Florida stuff is really angry. So we'll see. All right, man. Appreciate it, DJ. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. You got it. Man, what a great show we had today. A lot of things that we learned about this Georgia-Florida rivalry. Should be an interesting ball game. Want to thank my man Zach Albaverde coming on from Gators Territory and Mike Griffith from the AJC Dog Nation giving us all some great gems. We're looking forward to seeing this ball game on Saturday. I want bragging rights for Scotty D, so we will see how it all works out. I want to thank you guys for joining us on the Triple Threat Podcast. Continue to subscribe, listen, tell somebody. Tell somebody about the Triple Threat Podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us each and every week. And thank you for joining us today. From my man Scotty D, I'm DJ Shockley. We'll see you next time. Doses.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.